This message is brought to you by the Tabernacle Baptist Church in Hickory, North Carolina. If you'd like to learn more about our ministries, we encourage you to visit us online at tabernaclehickory.org. That's tabernaclehickory.org. You can find our sermons on a number of platforms, including Apple iTunes, YouTube, and Sermon Audio. We trust that God will use this message to speak to your heart. Take your Bibles, turn with me to the book of James, please, chapter 3. James chapter 3, very familiar passage of Scripture. And this is something that we, that we all deal with, that we all uh, deal with on a day-to-day basis. But it's something that's so important and so, so vital. And, and the more that I've studied it and, and through the years seen it and, and, and seeing the cycles of, of life and of ministry, um, how much more important our tongue is uh, than, than what we can really realize. The Bible makes it very, very clear. And so tonight I'm going to speak on the discipline of the tongue. We're going to start in James chapter 3. And of course, as you know, in all of God's dealings with humanity, He always uses His Word. And His Word is powerful. He used His Word to create all that we know and all that we see, the entire universe and what we don't see. Uh, his word is, is what shows us and gives us understanding of our need of salvation and how to be saved, how to be redeemed, and why we need to be redeemed. Uh, through his word, he speaks to us. He encourages us. He challenges us. He chastens us. I mean, through his word, he sanctifies us. And his word is trustworthy. It can be depended on. It can be lived by. Uh, we, can, we can set the foundation of our lives upon God's word. But it is also His Word that judges and uh, decides between right and wrong and shows us that right and wrong. We understand that Jesus is the Word. And uh, God has exalted, the Bible teaches us, God has exalted His Word above His very own name. And we understand the, the, the power and the exaltation that the name of God, the name of Jesus deserves. And God has magnified His Word above his own name, because as you and I know, our names are no better than the words that we speak and the lives that we live. And so how important is every word that God speaks? Everything that he says is important. And of course, it's supposed to be important to us, right? It's important, but I want to emphasize to you tonight how especially important his word is to him. Everything that he says he's going to do, he does. And everything he says he's not going to do, he doesn't. And he always fulfills his word. And when you read the scriptures and we understand the the things which were and the things which are and the things which will come, those things that God said will come, will come. Because God said it. And it will happen. And we can trust his word. His word is important to him because it represents to us and teaches us who he is, where his heart is. And so it's vital. His word is important to him. It's important to us. But I want to say this. If God's word is important to him, then our words ought to be important to us. And the way that we use our words 
The things that we carefully say and then the things that we shouldn't hastily say. You know, God always says the right thing the right way at the exact right time, doesn't he? There have been times where I've said perhaps to my wife, I've said to her the right thing, the right way, and at the exact right time, like apples of gold and pictures of silver. And then there have been a lot more times where I have said perhaps the right thing the wrong way and at the wrong time. Or I've said the right thing the right way at the wrong time. But aren't you glad God always says the right thing the right way at the exact right time? He's very careful about what he has given us, and his word is very carefully preserved for us. I mean, he has gone to great lengths to make sure that we have it, and you and I need to take that, that type of integrity, that type of importance, and, and put it upon the words that we speak and what we allow to come out of our mouths. There's a story in 1899 of four reporters, and they come to Denver, Colorado, and they're looking for a story. It's a Saturday night. They're looking for a story to put in their respective uh, papers, the, the Times, the Republican, the Post, and the, uh, I was going to say the Rocky Top, but it's the Rocky Mountain Post, and, and uh, that's the only way I could remember that is from the, I was expecting you to start singing. <laughs> But they were to write a story, and they were looking for a story. They were hoping that on a, at the train station that a celebrity was going to come through and, and that that uh, celebrity would give them that story for, uh, for that Sunday paper. And so they realized that n no celebrity came in and they had no story. And so they all decided to go over to the hotel saloon, to the hotel bar, and they're sitting around and they're, they're talking. And one fellow speaks up and says, you know what, we ought to just make up a story. And the other three laugh at it, and then they begin to talk about it. And before long, by 11 o'clock that night, they have, they have formed a story. And uh, they, they thought, well, if this story was local, then it would be obvious that it's, that it's untrue. But we need, to, we need to go beyond the borders, and, and we're going to, let's, let's do something. I'll tell you what, let's, let's, uh, let's talk about China. And let's tell them, let's write in the story that there were American engineers who came through on the train headed to China, and the purpose of heading to China was because they were putting in bids to demolish the Great Wall of China. Oh boy, we'll, we'll, we'll get accolades from our editors, and this will be great. And they all agreed on that. And then the very next day, it ran, and on the front page, it spoke about how the Americans are, are going to China to, to tear down the Great Wall of China. And, and, and what was the reason that we, can, that we can write these things? And, oh, I've got an idea. It would be for, uh, for, uh, political, and for uh, political reasons and to be able to um, uh, open our uh, trade, if you will, with China. And China wanting to open themselves to the rest of the world. That story ran, and of course, there were uh, people who were in China who received that story, and as a result, there were many Chinese people who were outraged, indignant. And there's a secret society of Chinese folks that were, were uh, not interested in any type of intervention from foreign lands. And as a result of that, they went to the embassy in Peking and murdered the people in the embassy and missionaries that were there. 
As a result of that, 12,000 soldiers from six different nations went there to defend their people. And that's known as the Boxer Rebellion. All because of four men sitting in a bar decided that they wanted to make up a story, not intending for it to be harmless, not intending to, to uh, inflame people, but their words brought many to death because of that, because of the result of that. You see, folks, whether the word is written or whether it is spoken, the, 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 the words that we speak are powerful. The tongue is but a little member, but it is powerful. And we're going to talk about that a little bit this evening. Let's look in James chapter 3, and we'll start in verse 3. And if you're taking notes, I'll give you three points tonight with a few subpoints underneath them, but the first one is the intrinsic power of the tongue. The intrinsic power of the tongue, the natural power, the inherent power of our tongue. James 3, starting in verse 3. Behold, we put bits in the horses' mouths that they may obey us, and we turn about their whole body. Behold also the ships, which though they be so great and are driven of fierce winds, yet are they turned about with a very small helm, whithersoever the governor listeth. Even so the tongue is a little member and boasteth great things. It talks about bits in the horses' mouths, a thousand pound animal that you place a 550 pound burden upon its back and, and it can take that burden without, uh, without breathing heavy. It can run a quarter mile in, in 25 seconds. I mean, this is, a, this is a big beast. This is a strong beast. And yet, you put a bridle and a bit in its mouth and a 100-pound girl that knows what she's doing, and she can make that horse go anywhere she wants it to because of the small bit. The same thing with the, the ship. We see large ships, great ships, football field size ships and, and greater, and yet they are driven by a very small helm. And the Bible says that our tongue, though it is a little member boasteth great things. In history, we see it uh, all the time, the, the Boxer Rebellion. You think of Adolf Hitler and Winston Churchill and how with his hypnotic speeches, Hitler was able to gather great crowds of people to follow him and his cause. And then uh, across the English Channel way there was uh, uh, Winston Churchill who through his very concise uh, uh, inspirational speeches, he was able to raise up a faltering nation for their finest hour. And we see that in, in our historical uh, uh, wars and different things, the power of the tongue and how it was used. But look, the power of the tongue is not only uh, powerful in a national sense, but in every one of our individual lives, we carry that same power in the tongue. Never doubt the power of the tiny tongue and never underestimate it. It can do so much damage or it can do so much good. But not only the intrinsic power of the tongue, I want you to see, number two, the destructive power of the tongue. You know, James' principal concern as we continue to look in chapter number three is with the destructive power of the tongue. That's what he deals mostly with. And a lot of the scripture that we read about the tongue deals with the destructive side of the tongue. And in chapter 3 again, look in the last part of verse number 5. Behold, 
How great a matter a little fire kindleth. Now think about that, a little fire. October 8, 1871, Mrs. O'Leary was milking her cow, and it, cow, the cow kicked over the lantern which started the Great Chicago Fire. Three and a half miles of the city were burnt. 17,000 buildings were burnt to the ground. Over 250 people died in that, all because of a little fire, all because of that little lantern. And that's exactly what the Bible teaches our tongue can do. It goes on in verse number 6, And the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. So is the tongue among our members, that it defileth the whole body, and setteth on fire the course of nature, and is set on fire of hell. You know, the, the, the tongue has that scope of inflammatory power in our relationships. It can spark a fire that spreads and destroys. And that's the destructive power of the tongue. I want you to notice a few things in the text. A world of iniquity, our tongue is. A world of iniquity. We understand that our world is, is nothing more than the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life. Our world is filled with iniquity. It is full of sin. And our tongues have that same capacity uh, of evil and of destruction. It's a world of iniquity. It also goes on to say that it defileth the whole body. Our tongues can be used and it, in a way that affects every part of our lives. It affects our relationships. It affects our successes or our failures. It affects every part of our lives. And it can defile our testimony. It can defile our effectiveness for God. Oh, there's great destructive power in our tongue. The Bible says there in verse 6 that setteth on fire the course of nature. The word course there means wheel or circuit. And nature is literally the word genesis. It means origin. So in other words, it setteth on fire the circuit of creation. In other words, it sets the course of man's life. It starts a cycle, the tongue, or a series of actions. And oftentimes that cycle continues not only in our, uh, in our actions in life unless we allow God to intervene and be obedient to his word, but our children also grasp a hold of that same cycle and continue it. Why? Because they hear the same words and usage of our tongues, perhaps at home. The course of nature and set on fire of hell, the Bible says. And the word used there is Gehenna. It's the garbage dump outside of the city of Jerusalem where all manner of, of just trash and, and horrible things of, of flesh and dead animals and, and waste and everything that you could imagine was placed in Gehenna, was placed in this garbage dump that was burning. And, and Jesus even used that word hell. He used Gehenna to illustrate everlasting fire because it talks about how the worm dieth not and the fire is not quenched. Oh, our tongues can bring such destruction. Our tongues can be influenced by the devil. It is set on fire of hell. And boy, the devil, he is the accuser of the brethren, is he not? It's amazing how we can hear someone say something and begin to think about why they said it and how they said it and the motive behind why they said it. And it's not long before the devil, the accuser, has, has 
helped feed our minds with thoughts and motives that, that we take personally. And, and uh, boy, we begin to get upset about things because of the way we've received something that was said. Well, the tongue has a lot of destructive power. The effects of the tongue are not physical and temporal. Whoever said sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me, didn't know what they were talking about, did they? Sticks and stones are the, are the physical and temporal, but the tongue, oh, its effects are spiritual and eternal. So I want to give you some examples tonight of the destructive power of the tongue and how we sometimes use it. James focuses on the destructive power. I want to focus on some of these things tonight to remind us. First of all, an example of destructive use of the tongue would be gossip. Gossip is idle talk or rumor spoken about the affairs of others. Idle talk or rumor spoken about the affairs of others. The Bible has something to say about that in Proverbs chapter 18 and verse number 8. The words of a talebearer are as wounds, and they go down into the innermost parts of the belly. Look, the words that talebearers, that gossips use, are more than just uh, physically affecting or even emotionally affecting. They are spiritually affected. They affect our soul. They're powerful words. And oftentimes, we, uh, as, as we partake in gossip, we mask it oftentimes with things like, hey, have you heard? Or, hey, did you know? Or, look, I, I know I can trust you. Or, look, I know you won't tell anybody, so I want to share this with you. And we mask oftentimes our gossip and speaking, our idle talk and, and speaking uh, of, of rumors of other people. Probably the ones Christians like to use oftentimes is, I'm just telling you this because I want you to pray. Now look, none of us understand or none of us know the motives of other people when they say things. And, and, and maybe, maybe those things can be said to someone who has the power and the authority to do something about it. But when we just start talking randomly or, or idle talk uh, or even rumor of things that we don't know if they're necessarily true or not with people that really have no uh, interest in it or really have no idea of how to fix it or what to do about it, then we ought to refrain from that gossip. And many times the gossip is rumors that we suppose are true. We assume that it's true. But even our supposition, even our assumptions can destroy people and destroy their lives. Uh, an extreme example of this is Acts chapter 21. Would you turn there with me, please? <clears throat> Acts chapter 21. And look in verse 27. Paul had been on his missionary journeys. He had, he had planted churches in several areas, several uh, cities. He had reached many people. God had used him in, in great ways. And he comes back to Jerusalem. And he's, verse 27, And when the seven days were almost ended, the Jews, which were of Asia, when they saw him in the temple, stirred up all the people and laid hands on him crying out, 
men of Israel, help. This is the man that teacheth all men everywhere against the people and the law and this place and further brought Greeks also into the temple that I might add is an abomination to the Jewish people and hath polluted this holy place. 29 parentheses. For they had seen before with him in the city of Trophimus an Ephesian, whom they what? Supposed that Paul had brought into the temple. They supposed that Paul brought him into the temple, and for that and for their hatred of what Paul was trying to accomplish, they seized him and they made all manner of accusation against him. And would you realize that because they supposed, Paul never planted another church after this. He never went on another missionary journey that was sanctioned, if you will, or sent by a church. He went on a missionary journey a stormy sea on a ship and wrecked. And, and aren't you thankful that, that, that God can take all of those things and still perform his will because he is sovereign? But never was there another church started by the Apostle Paul after this. It would seem, humanly speaking, that his ministry was stopped because somebody supposed and oftentimes when we speak and we talk of things that we don't know all the details about and we talk about those things, it's gossip and we suppose and it causes much damage to people's reputations and to their lives. Gossip is an example. Hey, innuendo is an example. You ever made innuendos? Where you're saying something but you are you are uh, emphasizing something else through the words that you're saying. Innuendo is an indirect intimation about a person or a thing. Sometimes it's the words that, that, we, uh, that we don't say that says something. It's sometimes the awkward silence or the raised eyebrows or the questioning look. And again, it, 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 it really does all come down to what we're intending in our hearts, what our motives are. I, I, I told the, the men that I had been praying for, for some time for the Lord to reveal to me my motives, my intentions. Why do I say the things I say? And you know what God will do if you ask him to do things like that? He'll answer it. He'll do it. He'll show you. And uh, wow, how enlightening, how disappointing, and, and yet how liberating to be able to see those things and to deal with them and ask for God's help. Innuendo. There's also flattery. What's flattery? It's excessive, insincere praise. Excessive, insincere praise. Flatterers are destructive people who carry a legion of unwholesome motives. They want something. They have an intention. They have a desire. They have a motive. Proverbs 26, 28 speaks of it. It says, a lying tongue hateth those that are afflicted by it, and a flattering mouth worketh ruin. Proverbs 29, 5, a man that flattereth his neighbor spreadeth a, fee, uh, spreadeth a net 
for his feet. There are ulterior motives. And look, we, we enjoy hearing flattery. We enjoy hearing praise. We enjoy those things. And if we're not careful, we'll gobble all that up and we'll get caught in that very ulterior motive, that net for the feet. You know, sometimes our children flatter, our, you know, ingest. And they'll come and my daughter would say, Dad, have I ever, you just, you just, you know, as old as you are, you're just a good looking man and big muscles and you're just such a good father and all these wonderful things. And I'm like, keep on. I like to hear it. But ultimately, we know what's happening. And then, you know, the folded arms and, all right, what do you want? What are you asking for? What do you need? And it's funny, we joke about it, but there are folks with motives that use flattery to try to get their way, to try to get their position, to try to get their efforts. They have an ulterior motive, and they don't care about any other, anybody else uh, accomplishing anything. They just want to do what they want to do. Man that flattereth his neighbor spreadeth a net for his feet. Flattery is dangerous. Hey, another example is criticism. Criticism. That's simply fault finding. We all know what these things are. Nothing that I'm saying tonight or nothing that will be said tonight is nothing that we haven't heard before, but it's something that I need to be reminded of. I believe it's something that we all need to be reminded of. And criticism is fault finding. It is, it is so easy to watch people's lives, and the easiest thing to do is to point out the negatives and pick out the flaws and look at the mistakes. That's the easy thing. And the difficult thing is, is to look beyond those things and see their worth and their value and what they can do by the grace of God and, and to see the positive things. Oftentimes, marriages get in trouble because we are so focused on looking at the negative things and the things that we think we deserve or that we ought to have that we don't feel that we're getting instead of taking time to look at and appreciate your spouse and the things that they do and, and the people that they are. And we criticize. It's so easy. When John Wesley was preaching in a church one time and he had a new tie, and that tie was rather long, and it's not like these ties. I mean, they had like ribbons on them, streamers, if you will, and, and I guess they were, they were kind of cool back then. But uh, a lady, after hearing him preach, came up to him afterwards and said, Mr., uh, Mr. Wesley, that tie was incredibly too long, and it is an offense to me. And he asked around, he said, do, do, do any of you ladies have any scissors? And they produced scissors and gave them uh, to him. And he said, ma'am, I don't want to be an offense to you. I want you to take these scissors. I want you to trim it the way you think it is best. And she took the scissors and she trimmed his tie up to the collar. And he said, is that, is that good now? You like that now? She said, oh, that's fine. He said, well, now I'd like to say something. I, I'm sure that, that uh, you wouldn't mind if I take a moment just to give a bit of, of correction as well. Uh, he said, ma'am, your tongue is an offense to me. And it is too long. Would you stick it out so I can take some off? <laughs> I don't know if that's the right way to handle criti uh, critics or not, but that sure is a good start. You know, it's so easy for us to find the negatives of people. And yet we're so merciful with ourselves. We're so lenient about our own faults and failures. It's so easy to be a critic and then there's one that's very important, I believe, uh, because it is just so subversive and so uh, hurtful. It's diminishment. 
And we've got several examples. There's a whole lot more that could be spoken of. We've got gossip in your window. We've got flattery, criticism, but diminishment. What is diminishment? What does diminishing someone mean? It means running down another person. And whether it's true or false, running down someone else. Turn to James chapter 4 with me, if you would. James chapter number 4, and let's look in verse number 11. We'll just look at that first part. Verse 11, speak not evil one of another. The word evil means to criminate or to defame, slander. Speak not evil one of another, brethren. He that speaketh evil of his brother and judgeth his brother speaketh evil of the law and judgeth the law. But if thou judge the law, thou art not a doer of the law, but a judge. John Gill says, speaking evil one of another, which is done either by raising false reports and bringing false charges or by aggravating failings and infirmities or by lessening and depreciating characters and endeavoring to bring others into discredit and disesteem among men. What does it mean to defame? What does it mean to, to speak evil one of another, to, to uh, speak uh, down on one another? It's lessening and depreciating characters. It's knocking people down a notch. It's speaking in a way that makes others think less of them. I believe that we see much more of that in our lives than we care to admit. Hughes says most Christians perhaps would not bring false charges against another false charges, but many may think it's okay to convey negative information if it's true. We understand that lying is immoral, but is passing along damaging truth immoral? See, just because it's uh, true doesn't mean that it's a topic that we are to talk about to someone who can do absolutely nothing to help. All it does is make that person smaller in their eyes and hurt their, their opportunity to help or their opportunity to be helped by that person. Happens often in leadership, in the home. Husbands can get together and begin to talk about and diminish their wives among one another. Wives can get together and begin to talk and diminish their husbands. Church family can get together on Sunday afternoon and have roast preacher. Begin to say things that diminish the pastor, the position, the man. And what we don't understand is not only are we hurting ourselves in our relationship with our pastor or with the people that we love. But specifically in context of the pastor, we're, we're, we're hurting the opportunity for our children who hear us talk that way. We're, we're hindering their opportunity to be able to get the help from the pastor that God has given them. And it's bigger than us lifting ourselves up in the sight of our families or in sight of other men or other women or other people. We are, we are robbing 
We are robbing people of the opportunity to be an influence in the lives of others. And listen, our children, when they grow up, guess what they're going to need? They need a pastor now, and they've got one here, and I'm thankful. But they're going to need a pastor one day. Uh, and, and, and if we have diminished the man of God, do you think your children are going to go to the man of God? Our children? We've got to be very careful about the way we use our words. So why do we do all this? What is it about us that causes us to, to do this? Well, sometimes it's we want revenge over some slight, whether that is real or whether that's imagined. Sometimes there are people that, that think it's actually their gift to be able to point out other people's flaws in order to help them be humble. They've got the spiritual gift to, to, to use their tongues to be sure that no one gets away with anything and that everybody else knows so that they don't lift up someone higher than they need to be. Well, that sounds good, doesn't it? But it is destructive. Sometimes it's the need to elevate ourselves. In Luke chapter 18, Jesus talks about, uh, in verse 11, he talks about the Pharisee who goes to the temple and he prays and he says, I'm so thankful, God, that I'm not an extortioner and I'm not an adulterer and I'm not like this poor publican here. I tithe and I do this and I do that. And then the publican couldn't so much as look up to heaven and pray to have mercy on me. And Jesus said that was the man who went home justified. Sometimes we have this desire to elevate ourselves and it's so tempting and all it is is just a little slight of words that we use to diminish someone else so that we can exalt and elevate ourselves. Sometimes it's just too much empty talk. Sometimes, remember the inherent power, the natural, the... the, uh, when, when, when we are talking and, and we leave purpose for talking, it's not long before many get uh, veered off their purpose for talking and enter into areas that usually are about people. And that's harmful. We use our words, sometimes too much empty talk. And the result of all of this is something that I think is, is, is very devastating. It's worthless religion. Look in James chapter 1. In verse 26, James chapter 1, verse 26, If any man among you seem to be religious, and bridleth not his tongue, but deceiveth his own heart, this man's religion is vain. If you said the true test of a man's spirituality is not his ability to speak, as we're apt to think, but rather his ability to bridle his tongue. That's a good quote. The true test of a man's spirituality is not his ability to speak, as we're apt to think, but rather his ability to bridle his tongue. I, I, I thought about this and, and the, the power of God. He is omnipotent. He can do anything. He has all power. He speaks, and it is he has power. When I begin to think of that power and the greatest power that God has, I think somewhere in the top has to be God's power of restraint. The power of restraint. Can you imagine how much restraint it has taken throughout existence of humanity 
for our gracious God. The power of restraint. It is of the Lord's mercies that we're not consumed. His compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. The power of restraint. And God restrains with mercy. Would God help us to restrain our words, to bridle our tongues, to not cause destruction and hurt and harm? Jesus explained in Matthew 12, 33 and 34, He said, Either make the tree good and, its, and His fruit good, or else make the tree corrupt and His fruit corrupt, for the tree is known by His fruit. O generation of vipers, how can ye, being evil, speak good things? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. You know, the tongue will inevitably reveal what's on the inside you sit and spend time with people and talk uh, long enough to, to, to people and you're able to, to get a glimpse into their heart because out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. There's a pastor that had a work day. He had a hammer in his hand and he was going around and he was doing work and there was one of the men following him. And he finally, uh, he noticed it, but he finally stopped and said, you're following me. Why are you following me around? And he said, because I want to hear what you say when you hit your finger with that hammer. You see, because it's in those times, it's in that stress, it's in that frustration, it's in that anger, it's in that, uh, that hardship. It's during those times where we're uh, more apt and even give ourselves permission to be able to say things we normally wouldn't say. And it reveals what's going on in here. Now, James doesn't mean that those who sometimes fall into this sin have a worthless religion because we're all guilty of it at times. All of us are. Rather, he's saying if anyone's tongue is habitually unbridled, then his religion is vain. Why did God leave us here after he saved us? He left us here so that we could, uh, so that we could use our words to exalt Jesus' name, so that we could use our words to edify and to encourage one another, so that we could use our words to evangelize a lost and dying world. And when we misuse our tongues and we habitually do not bridle our tongues, then the very purpose of our existence upon the face of the earth is vanity and worthless. That's how important it is to God. The Bible says, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. And there's a man, in, uh, a prophet Isaiah, who saw God and was purified. I want to give you number three, lastly, and we'll look at this man. Number three, the disciplined tongue, the disciplined tongue. Offered to God on the altar, the tongue has awesome power for good. Our tongues, the words that we speak, we can speak God's word and the Holy Spirit will convict their hearts of their need of salvation and they'll turn to Jesus Christ in faith and get saved because we used our tongue to share his gospel. What a blessing. We can use our tongue for so much good. Our tongue can be used to teach and, and, and help uh, folks understand God's will for their lives and what things are right and what is wrong. And when people stumble, that they can get up. And if they failed, they can try again. And if they've quit, they can start again. Our tongues can be used for so much good. But it's so easy to allow the world of iniquity to escape. 
And we've got to be disciplined about it. It's got to be intentional. We can use our tongue to strengthen people. We can use our tongue to worship our God. So what do we do? How do we strive for a disciplined tongue? I won't have you turn there. I'll just read the the text to you. But in Isaiah chapter 6, the Bible says, Then said I, Isaiah, after after he saw the Lord of hosts, he said, Then said I, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips and dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. Of all the sins that could have been confessed, of all the things that could have been said, of the laundry list of things about God's people that could have been said, he says, I am a man of unclean lips, for mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. What do we do? We, it, look, if we're going to have a disciplined tongue, we must confess our sinful speech to the Lord. We must confess it to the Lord. You and I must come to God and say, God, I spoke wrongly and I, did, I said something I shouldn't have said or I, I, I hurt someone. But look, it's got to be confessed. Our sinful speech must be confessed. But not only that, we must submit to God's desire for our tongue. What is God's desire for our tongue? You'll find the purpose of our tongue in the Scriptures. But as I said a moment ago, the purpose of our tongue is to exalt, to edify, to evangelize. That's the purpose of our tongue. And by the way, your tongue doesn't belong to you uh, just like no other member of your body belongs to you. If you've been born again, it belongs to God. My tongue belongs to the Lord. And how many times have I used it for destruction? How many times have I used it to hurt someone? How many times have I used it to elevate myself? It's a world of iniquity. We must confess, then we must submit to God's desire for our tongue. Isaiah heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then said, I hear him, I send me. He submitted to God and we must submit our tongue to God. Not only that, but we must commit to praying for God to help us in the use of our tongue. You see, Psalm 141 verse 3 says, Set a watch, O Lord, before my mouth. Keep the door of my lips. That's a great verse to put on the mirror or somewhere where where we can see it. And pray for God to help us with that. Because no man can tame it. Only God can as it's yielded to Him. So commit to pray about it. And listen, when you sin with your tongue, make it right. Make it right with God. Make it right with the people that you hurt. I'm not talking about something that you've said behind someone's back and you go to them, they have no idea, and you confess to them, hey, I criticized you and this is what I said. They don't, need to, they don't need to know that. But the person that you said those critical words to, those are the ones you need to apologize to, that we need to get right with. Commit. And then lastly, resolve to discipline. We must resolve to discipline ourselves in the use of our tongues. It's got to be intentional. We've got to be enveloped by the truth of, of speaking the truth in love. We've got to recognize and ask God to help us recognize when we're tempted to gossip or when we're around it and get away from it. We've got to use the scriptures that God gives us concerning the tongue. I, and there's several verses that will help us with that. But I'll end with this. My, many of you have been praying for my sister-in-law, Debbie. And we went to Virginia last Saturday and, and uh, we... Uh, helped her. She had a car accident. It was a horrible car accident, but it was a miraculous thing that God did in, in preserving her life. No broken bones, no internal damage. She was just in a lot of pain, and she went home. 
And uh, she has two adult special needs children. And those, uh, one's Stephen and the other's Crystal. They're 35 and 31. But they're elementary, uh, emotionally and uh, intellectually, special kids. Uh, and I love them. Love them to death. Because I get to play and, 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 and act like a, like a kid when I'm with them. We have a lot of fun. But when we were there, Stephen wanted to be everywhere that my wife was. And he would say to her, hello, beautiful. She'd wake up in the morning and he'd say, good morning, beautiful. Sit beside me, beautiful. Well, hello, beautiful. Good night, beautiful. He probably said it 50 times if he said it once. I thought, what in the world are you trying to do, buddy? What do you want? And he called me Cinderella or Ursula or some other evil Disney character. You know what, I walked away from that, and I got to thinking about that, and I thought, there's something I can learn from a 34-year-old special needs man about how to use my tongue to encourage and to build up. I told my wife, I said, if, if you, you ever have a low self-esteem day, I'm going to send you up to see Stephen. <laughs> He'll pump you back up. You know, our words can, can pump people up and encourage people. Good night. We've got so much negative around us. We hear it all the time. Let's ask God to help us. I need help with it. I imagine that maybe God's pointed out some areas where you might need some help with it. Let's ask him to help us. Let's commit to using our tongues for the purpose that God gave it to us. Thank you for listening to this message from Tabernacle Baptist Church. We pray that God has used His Word to speak to your heart today. If you'd like to learn more about the ministries of Tabernacle Baptist Church, you can go to our website, tabernaclehickory.org. That is tabernaclehickory.org. There you'll find additional resources that we pray God will use to be a help to you. If the Lord should lead you to partner with us or make a donation online, you'll find a link provided on the website at tabernaclehickory.org. May God bless you and thank you for listening.